We read in Hebrews chapter 10, keep your Bibles open, we'll come back to it in a moment. Let me start by just talking to you and then we're going to get straightway into the sermon. Brother Josh, if you'll hit that fan for me, because it's about to get hot up here. We live in a fast-paced world. That right there gives us instant access to more things than we know. You realize there's more technology in that right there than what it took to put man on the moon the first time? More power, more technology in that one phone than what it took to land a spacecraft on the moon and man to walk there. Fast cars, fast road systems. We experience more of life's outer limits, but we experience less real life than they used to. People used to work together at home and on the job. Can I give you a statement here? I know this is going to shock some of you. Did you know that people used to talk to one another? They didn't just shoot a text or send an email. They actually talked. Uh, the family table was used as a place to gather and talk about the events of the day. There was not fast food, Uber Eats, or delivery service. Most folks went to the grocery store once a month. They definitely didn't go every day. And they never called Walmart or Aldi's or uh, any supermarket and had them delivered to the house. Families used to get up early and do chores while mom and the girls made breakfast. Then everybody would meet back and eat breakfast. Then they would go to school and work. School was only nine months a year. Say why? Because it was set up around the farm schedule. School was, uh, the reason they were out for summer was not for vacation, it was so they could work in the fields. Everybody doing okay? Uh, and by the way, most kids walked to school. Even when it got below 40 degrees. <laughs> I know, you walked to school three miles uphill, both ways, uh, in the snow that was six feet high, I get it. Uh, most schools were one room, and all the grades had one teacher for all grades. By the way, I could pull books off my shelves of our forefathers who went to schools just like that, and most of you would have to have a dictionary beside you to try to figure out what they were saying because they had more intellect from a one-room schoolhouse than most high school graduates will ever get. By the way, they didn't have computers and tablets and waste billions and billions of dollars to educate. Matter of fact, they didn't have to lock the teachers in cages to teach the children either. Schools in New York and New Jersey right now have cages set up for teachers from which to teach. They are escorting their teachers by guard after the class has entered the classroom into a locked cell locking the teacher in so that they're protected from their own students. Let me tell you, it would be a cold day where the booger man lives where that ever happens in our school. 
The inmates aren't supposed to run the institution. They're locking the wrong ones up. Never has a society been moving so rapidly. Look at how fast and how far people travel every day. I'm not saying that we ought to get rid of cars or airplanes. I was telling somebody this week, I was talking to him. My dad's back there. He'll, he'll attest to this. I grew up in Canton, Ohio. Canton is about 60 miles from Cleveland at most. I remember that going to Cleveland, you know, if you got there every two or three years, you really went somewhere. If you went to Akron, that was 15 miles up the road. You were going out of town. I'm not kidding. I mean, I remember, I'd hear the adults say, man, I had to go all the way to Akron. And when I became an adult and drove through it, I said, look, I'd be farther than I'd go to school every day. People just didn't travel like we do today. I am saying this. The busyness, the fast-pacedness of life and all of our amenities and increases in all these areas has contributed to life passing us very quickly. Now, what does that have to do with Hebrews chapter 10, 25? Let me show you. God says something here in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. But exhorting one another, now watch this, and so much the more, what's the next phrase? As you see the day approaching. That's in reference to the rapture, when Jesus comes back. But I want you to notice something about this. People are so busy with their own life, making money, having fun, being entertained, eating, drinking, all the things that they do that we don't have time for God or church anymore. We fit God or church in whenever we can or when we have to for a wedding or a funeral. But it's way down on our priority list because we just have so much to do. Now, here's the truth, and I need your mind. God tells us that we don't need God less before he comes back. We need him so much the more. Now, here's the truth. God doesn't say so much the more as we approach the day. He says so much the more as you see the day approaching you. Oh. That means the day is moving. Now watch this. God begins the moving of the day towards us. And the faster we live, the faster we're moving towards it. Let me show you what I mean. Brother Devin, could you do me a favor? Stand up on the back of the aisle right back there. I'm going to use Brother Devin here. Now, here's what we think. Here's the return of the Lord. And Devin just walked slowly down the aisle. 
pretend that you're getting married or something. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, run backwards. Most of us, we think we're living our busy life and uh, we're, 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 the day of the Lord is coming as, as it approaches. Go on back there. But here's what God says. As you see the day approaching. It's going twice as fast. Because I'm approaching it as I live. It's approaching me as it comes towards me. And we have to understand something. Thank you, Devin. You can sit down. I wasn't even looking. Uh, we have to understand that day seems like it's approaching faster and faster the closer we get to it. Because as we move, it's moving towards us. God didn't say, as ye approach the day. He said, as you see the day approaching you. So as it moves this way, as the world gets worse and worse, and God hastens that return, and as we live our life and we get closer and closer to it, it seems like it's moving faster and faster. I'm only 55 years old. Shut up. May I say something? 30 years ago, I heard preachers say that the Lord's coming back with the signs of the times. If they were alive today to see what's going on today, their heads would be swimming. Uh, I was listening to old Brother Roloff one day, one morning early this week. If Brother Lester were alive today, they would put him before the firing squad. He was rough back in the 60s and the 70s. Lord have mercy, God took him out in 1982 and it's a good thing. He wouldn't be in jail again. He was in jail twice for preaching the gospel. He'd have been under the jail. They'd send him to Russia. <laughs> you don't understand some of these old timers. Now, it's just the same as James chapter 4, verse number 8 that says, Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. As we start moving towards God, God starts moving towards us, and it speeds up the process. The average Christian says, I'll wait till God draws nigh to me before I do anything. I want God to come be close to me. God says, no, you start moving and then I'll start moving. God says, we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. But so much the more as you see the day approaching. The closer to the coming of Jesus at the rapture, the faster and faster it's going to appear that we're going downhill. <laughs> Do you know there was a day when sodomy was never talked about in public? It was never seen in Hollywood. Now it's everywhere. Now, if you say something against it, you're the bad one. 
Well, I happen to believe God over man. God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, and he hasn't changed his mind according to Romans chapter 1. Sodomy is still sin, and it's still wrong. Two bulls don't make a cow. Two roosters don't have hens. And you're not going to say just because you're intelligent that you can choose what you want. State of Minnesota right now is trying to pass a bill that any parent who tries to stop a child from transitioning, the state will take the child away for child abuse. And they're programming these children from the time they go into public education. Uh, I'm not here to put a plug in for our school, but I will say this. Parents, think twice before you put your kids in public education. How do we handle these days? How do we as Christians stay encouraged and influential as the world goes to the devil that much faster? How do we not give in to the world the closer we get to the rapture? We're going to look at that today. I have a feeling God's looking down today at modern religion, and according to the book of Revelation, it makes him sick. He talked to the church of Laodicea that they were neither hot nor cold, that they were lukewarm. Did you ever drink lukewarm coffee? That's enough to make anybody want to spit. Yeah, coffee's supposed to be hot and black. Okay, don't corrupt the holy being. If it doesn't bite all the way down, it's not strong enough. If you can't stand your spoon up in it and it, and it not fall down, then you get it a little thicker, amen? Uh, that Cubano coffee, you know, that stuff that's like black syrup, that's good stuff. Straight shot espresso, nothing in it, that's good stuff. It's got a bite. If you can spit and it's not brown, something's not right. Amen? Come on, I'm going to preach the truth whether you like it or not. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Isn't it amazing, though, that the mediocrity of our society today, how that religion wants to satisfy everybody. Well, when you try to satisfy everybody, you don't satisfy anybody. When you aim for the middle... There's nothing to stand on. You're being pulled from both directions. Trust me. Politically, that's why you have moderates. And they're aiming for the middle, which means this. They're going to get pulled to one side or the other because there's nothing in the middle to stand on. And they're going to split their britches while they do it. So, let me help you. First of all, God tells us, how do we get through this? I want you to notice something here that is just uh, just amazing to me. Look at verse number 22. And let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith. That's an interesting statement. Let us hold fast 
That doesn't mean hold quickly. The word fast there is the word fastened. It means screwed into place. When you fasten something together, you take a nut and a bolt and you fasten it together. You're to tighten it up so it doesn't back out and fall apart. Amen? When you fasten the hose into the baptistry so it doesn't come out when you turn the pump on, you don't have floods all over the carpet. Now it's fastened into place. Uh, what is that there for? It's there so that it doesn't come apart. It doesn't break. It doesn't shake apart. And God said, let us hold fast the profession of our faith. Did you know you're not supposed to wonder if you're going to heaven or not? Amen. You're not supposed to wonder, am I saved or am I not? You're not supposed to wonder, well, I hope so. Well, if you hope so, you ain't so. I hate to disappoint you. Preacher, that's not good grammar. Nobody's good preaching. You need to, and I'm going to use this statement on purpose, you need to nail down your salvation. You need to fasten it. You need to screw it tightly into place and have the confidence and the full assurance that the moment you quit sucking air here, you're going to wake up in heaven sucking heavenly air. Amen. Look at how freaked out the world is today because all they live for is today. They have no use for eternity and eternity scares them. <laughs> Please listen to me. These are the same people that say that you shouldn't scare a child with religion. But you can tell them they don't know if they're a boy or a girl, then they can choose what they are and go back and forth and it doesn't matter. Now, I hate to tell you something. What they have to say is far worse. Boys are boys. Amen. Girls are girls. Amen. And there ain't nothing in between. Amen. Why is it that the supposed smartest beings on the earth are the stupidest? That is the nicest way I know how to say it. When barnyard animals and nature itself has more sense than people. May I say something? Nail down your salvation. Amen. No, I'm, I'm not trying to get anybody to doubt the fact that you're saved. I'm not. I don't preach that way. But I do want you to know for sure. When you sit beside someone who's dying, as often as I have, you'll understand what I'm talking about. Remember back in December, I went to Texas to see my brother-in-law who's dying of cancer. Sat in the living room with him and I said, Paul, he said, I know we need to talk. I said, yes, we do. I said, Paul, I got to ask you a question. I, I know I know the answer to it, but it's more important now than ever. He said, Craig, I know I'm saved. Began to tell me that when he was a 14 or 15 year old boy in Texarkana, Texas. He went to a church 
walked an aisle and trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior. Amen. He said, and he gave me a very clear-cut testimony. Oh, by the way, when he was hurting real bad weeks later, he texted me one morning and he said, Craig, he said, uh, I know I'm not going to be here long. Are you sure that's all I needed to do? I said, I'm not only sure, God's sure. I shared a bunch of scriptures with him. He said, that's all I need. My sister-in-law, about two hours later, texted me. She said, Craig, what did you tell Paul? I said, well, he was just having some doubts about a few things, and I shared some scriptures. She said, she said he's at total peace. He's ready for heaven. Do you have that peace? Do you have the peace of knowing that, A, you realized you were a sinner. Because we're sinners, we all deserve hell. Because of that, Jesus came and paid our sin debt for us. And that you don't get saved by joining a church, by being baptized. By your good works, you get saved by trusting him as your Savior. That and that alone. The moment you do that, can I tell you something? 50 plus years ago, I did that as a four and a half year old boy. And I'm just as saved as Jesus Christ is. I have as much salvation as Jesus has. And the moment you get saved, I don't think this is unbiblical. You are as saved as Jesus is. And that's what God says. That we hold fastened to that full assurance of our faith. Can I tell you something? If I didn't have my faith right now, it's, it's no wonder people are the way they are. Uh, turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Look at verse number 1 with me. Romans chapter 6, verse number 1. What shall we... Uh, hurry, I'm sorry. I was ready. You weren't, huh? Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. About the sixth book of the New Testament there. What shall we say then, brethren? Verse number one. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of this death, we shall be also in uh, the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. That does not mean once you get saved, you quit sinning. But God does take care of our sin debt. A, he wipes it away. B, according to the book of Romans, chapter 8, he puts his righteousness on our account. And by that imputed righteousness, when God sees us, he sees the record of Jesus Christ, not the record of Craig Bush. Not your record. He doesn't see your good works. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Turn to Ephesians. Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Just, oh, 50, 60 pages to the right there. Ephesians chapter 1. Look at two verses here in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. 
Look at verse number 13. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Turn to chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Uh, can I tell you something? The moment someone goes from trusting their own righteousness to trusting Jesus Christ, the truth of the gospel, the Bible says you're born again and the Holy Spirit moves into your life. And he seals us with our salvation. Amen. Did you know you can't lose your salvation because God gave you the genetics of God in your life and in your body? Amen. And it's called the Holy Spirit. That's what the term regeneration means. It means regeneticized. God gives us eternal spiritual genetics by the Holy Spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. But that which is born of the spirit is spirit, man's spirit. You must be born again. When you're born, you have the genetics of your parents. Well, bless God when you get born again, you get the genetics of God spiritually. Amen. Now, wait a minute. It doesn't change our body. But it does change our spirit. Now, watch this. That means this. The moment you get saved, the Holy Spirit moves in. He gives you eternal genetics. And uh, yes, you're going to still sin, but you're not going to face the judgment for it. Amen. You'll face consequences for it. You go out here and run 100 miles an hour up Charlestown Road and the police officer stops you. God's not going to let you go. You're going to pay a ticket. Say why? Because that means you've broken a law and there's a price to pay for sin. But it doesn't mean that you're going to die and go to hell because you broke the law. That's what God's talking about here. Everybody doing okay? Amen. Say, well, preacher, after I got saved, I didn't quit doing all the things I did before. It doesn't matter. You're still going to heaven. Amen. When I was born, May 23rd, 19, none of your business, 67. <laughs> May 23rd, 1967. Hey, shut up. That was in another century. That was in another millennium. Uh, but uh, may I say something? The day I was born didn't mean that I was going to be perfect my whole life. Have I done some things wrong? Yes. I still do. But it does not change the fact of who my parents are. Whether I did good or whether I did bad. And there were times my father said, I brought you in this world, I can take you out. Mm-hmm. A couple times I thought he was going to take me out. Now, wait a minute. Uh, even if I ended up in jail as a mass murderer one day, which I don't plan on, it's still not going to change who my parents are. And when you got saved, it doesn't change who your father is. It doesn't change your spiritual genetics, whether you do good or whether you do bad. Everybody doing okay? Now, I'm going somewhere with, with this. I don't care how sincere you were. 
You're hearing a lot of preachers these days say, well, you have to trust him with all your heart. Let me ask you a question. How much sincerity does it take for someone to get saved? Show me how you barometer or measure sincerity. Sincerity is unmeasurable. Can I tell you how much sincerity it takes? Brother Sam, could you come up here for a second? I'm not going to make you say anything, I promise. But just jump up here real quick. Come on. He's got them long legs. You don't even have to jump. Good night. Here's a sinner. He does that quite well, by the way. Yeah, you can vouch for it. You can vouch for him being a sinner too, I know. Wait a minute. There was a day when Sam didn't know for sure he was going to heaven. He was headed towards hell, trusting his own goodness. But the day came where Sam heard the preaching of the word of God, the truth of the word of God, and he trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior. Now, wait a minute. Sam, did you understand everything scripturally about salvation? No. I've been saved 50 plus years and still learning stuff about it. How sincere did he have to be? He had to be sincere enough to say, I'm a sinner. Because I'm a sinner, there's a penalty on sin, which is death and hell. Jesus came and lived my righteousness, paid my sin debt. And if I trust him as my savior, he'll take me to heaven. That's as much sincerity as you needed to have. Thank you. Have a seat. Does that mean Sam's done sinning? No, he's about ready to go into Scott's family. <laughs> he's going into deep sin. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Now, wait a minute. doesn't mean Sam's perfect here on earth. But when he stands before God, he's as clean as Jesus Christ. Wait a minute. Well, how sincere were they? Well, they were willing to bow their head, trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. How much more sincerity is needed? Well, by your fruits, you'll know them. Come back tonight, I'll preach on that. My Bible says in the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse number 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus... And believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Oh, wait a minute. Show me anywhere in there that says with all thine heart, with all your sincerity. What is John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him with all your heart, no, believeth in him, shall have everlasting life. If you read the next verse, it talks about that God did not condemn us did not come to bring condemnation, but condemnation was already upon us. And he says that you get out of condemnation by belief, not by sincerity. Amen. The day you believe Jesus enough to trust him as your savior, you're on your way to heaven. Amen. 
How much sincerity does it take for you to be willing to say, I can't get there on my own and I need a Savior and I'm willing to do what he says? I don't understand it all. I never could comprehend it all. I never will comprehend it all because God made the plan, not man. Well, if you don't turn from your sins, then you really didn't mean it. For somebody to make as stupid of a statement of that shows their pride and their sinfulness. They're as arrogant as you are a sinner. Knowing you are saved will help you look forward to the rapture. Today, if you do not know 100% sure you're going to heaven when you die, you trot down here at the end of the service, we'll take the Bible, show you how you can trust Christ, and settle that issue once and for good. Say, well, preacher, I, I just don't seem to get it. Well, you got it when you got born. Do you have to check every day to see if you're a human? Contrary to what the world says, you're not a dog or a cat. By the way, in our public school system in West Virginia and Maryland, they're now bringing litter boxes in for kids to use that think they're cats and dogs. That's filth. That's vile. You say, preacher, that, that just doesn't make sense. It does to them because that's what they're being taught. If you don't know for sure, come settle it. You know you're a human. Trust me. The longer you live, the more human you know you are. So, number one, we have to understand that uh, holding fast that we're saved. Number two, God wants us to provoke one another to love and good works. Look at Romans I'm sorry, uh, we weren't in Romans, uh, hang on, we're, I'm in Hebrews chapter 10. I'm in so many different places, I'm not sure where I'm at. Hebrews chapter 10, again, look at verse number uh, 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. Now that word provoke does not mean what you think it means. The word provoke means to incite, to do good, or to sharpen. Uh, when I'm getting ready to butcher a deer, I don't pull a butter knife out. I pull my, my knives out that are sharp, and then I take my sharpening stone, and I sharpen them even more so that I can get through it easily. More people are cut with a dull knife than a sharp one. Plain and simple. And you are provoking by sharpening. You are taking the rough edges off. You're, you're taking the wrong angles off and, and reapplying that right angle to it to make sure that it's going to do its intended purpose. And God says that we are to be rubbing off, we're to be honing, we're to be inciting people to do good and to love. Can I tell you something? The world's not going to help you love people. The world's not going to help you want to do good things. So we're to help each other love and do good works. 
Notice the statement, provoke one another to do, not to have done unto us. We are so selfish, we think it's only love if we get something in return. A Bible word for love is the word charity, which means you give without the expectation of it being given back. Husbands and wives are too selfish. Uh, We'll do something for the other in hopes of getting something back from the other. When you can learn to love your spouse without expecting anything back, you've just truly begun to love. In other words, here at church, we're supposed to help people find ways to love and do good things. (laughs) One of the things I spend most of my life doing is trying to get people to do things they would not normally do for themselves. I'm talking about coming to Sunday school. Helping in a nursery, helping on the van route, working with the teenagers, being involved in adult Sunday school class, witnessing, helping in the nursing home ministry, helping at the mission, coming to prayer breakfast, uh, uh, coming to the ladies' meetings, being here at all the church services, getting involved in the choir and the special music here at the church. What are those things? Provoking one another to love and good works. There are people sitting in this room right now. God's given you the ability to do something, but you're not using it, and you're not being provoked to good works. Well, I'm provoking today. Say why? Because you won't reach your full potential, and you won't be as as ready for the coming of our Savior if you're sitting on your do-nothing. Everybody doing all right? Much of the world will not let us love. You know, the world doesn't want to be loved. They want to love their self. They want to love their selfishness and their filth and their sin. So God says, that's why I started the church. That's what Hebrews 10.25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Now hang on. The church is a family. Brother Josh, if you got well, I know you did get saved. Since you got saved, you are a child of God, right? And if we have the same father, that means we're brothers. I know this is West Virginia. <laughs> it doesn't mean we're cousins. It means we're brothers. Amen? Now, wait a minute. If we have the same father, that means we're all family, right? And because when you get saved, we all are of the same Father, that's why we call each other brother or sister around here. Because we all have the same spiritual genetics. We've been born again into the family of God, and we've been adopted to become heirs of his throne. Glory to God. This is not a place of perfect people. Did you know your family doesn't have perfect people? You're in it. Everybody's got that, you know, Uncle Leroy, Aunt Gertrude. You know, that one that you don't want the preacher to go see? Y'all, I have those two. And I'm the preacher. (laughs) Most churches are a museum of what used to be. Or they want people to come in that are museum pieces... So they fit into their museum. 
Well, bless God, Grace Baptist Church is a hospital where sick and hurting people come, broken, bloodied, and beat up. And it's a place where we're not trying to put somebody on display. We're going to wrap you up and put you back together and make you as usable as you can for our God and our Father. You see, Bible love is not love because you feel it. Bible love is when you give it, not expecting anything in return. I've got to hurry. I've got four minutes. You say, why? Because I'm hungry. Point number three, God says we learn to do all these things by being at church. Not forsaking, I want you to notice the word here, the assembling. The Greek word assemble there is the word ekklesia. Now I realize it could be a different tense. I'm not going to get into the tensage of, for those of you that are Greek scholars. Just trust me. The only Greek you know is the guy that owns a restaurant anyway. <laughs> the word assembling there is the word ecclesia, which is where we get the word church. Called out assembly. It is a very specific type of assembly. It's not a general assembly like a group of people or the assembly hall or a, 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 the tabernacle or the temple means it's just an assembly area. No, this is a called out assembly for a specific purpose. And God says, let's not forsake the churching, the assembling of ourselves. Oh, the word forsake. Do you know what forsake means? It means to abandon. It means to renounce. It means to give up. To desert. To leave without intending to come back. There are people in this room, you've had people you love forsake you. A spouse, a parent, a child, someone you loved in your life. Who has forsaken you. They've left with no intention of returning. They just left you high and dry. Let me ask you a question. Have we forsaken God with our church attendance? Have we just abandoned him? Well God I'm busy. I've got things I want to do. What about God? And as we see the day approaching and as we're moving towards it and it's getting faster and faster because we're closer and closer. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be at King's Dominion when the Lord comes back. I want to be serving Him. I'm not saying it's sinful to go there. But we have so many people interested in playing that they're not doing anything for God. <laughs> it's kind of like the preacher that skipped church one day to go golfing. He got a hole in one. He was in a quandary. Who was he going to tell? He skipped church to go golfing. <laughs> he went to the next par three and got another. He had four holes in ones in one round of golf. But he couldn't tell anybody because he'd have to tell where he was. Yeah, that's kind of how it is. He forsook God. 
Too many people in America have forsaken God and forsaken the church. God does not want us, listen to this, just to attend. God wants us to be an active part of the church. That's why he started it. Do you realize that Jesus started the church? Matthew 16. Upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's why in Acts 2.41 it says that they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. He didn't start it just for us to come when we felt like it. He wanted us to come, join it, and be a part of it. I used to hear Brother Roloff say this, an unused Bible means an unused life. A used Bible will show you a used life. Well, an unattended church member is going to have an unattended God to them. He wants us to be a part of it. And by the way, TV is not church. Radio is not church. Live stream is not church. God wants us to be there with our body. Well, I'll be with you in spirit, preacher. Don't do that. I don't like spooks flying around. No, 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 I don't like that stuff. God says the closer we get to the rapture, we shouldn't be going to church less and less. We ought to be going more and more. I can show you Sunday night church services in the Bible. Resurrection Sunday, they met in the upper room as a church when Jesus came in. It was on the first day of the week, that Sunday. They had an evening service, and a man named Thomas, one of the apostles, missed it. He's now known as Doubting Thomas because he said, ah, I'm not going to believe that unless I can put my hands into the prints of his, in his side and his hands and his feet. Well, if he'd have been there, he'd have known. He missed church and went down as a doubter. God says we need church so much the more. Not less services, more. Not less preaching and more entertaining, more. Not just for adults, it's for everybody. It's not just for kids, it's for everybody. Not less involvement because I'm just so busy, preacher. No, we ought to be getting involved as much as we can. I'm not saying that it's a cult. I'm not saying that church is more important than your family and working. I'm not saying that, but we need church more, not less, in our world today. James 4, 8. The Bible says, let us draw nigh to God. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. God gave us a Bible. God's given us a church. He's given us a church family, all to help us hold fast the profession of our faith, without wavering. You want to be one of those Christians that can stay true to the end? Get involved. Jump in. The water's fine, I promise you. They're the weird ones, not us. <laughs> 
Just because the motions go in one direction doesn't mean you've got to go down with it. There's not much left time left. Jesus is coming. The day is approaching, and as we get closer to it, do you ever watch a plane fly in the sky? It looks like it's barely moving, doesn't it? But have you ever been close to the airport and that puppy's coming down and you're driving towards it and it's going... That's exactly what God's talking about. As it approaches and as we approach it, it's, it's screaming by. I've flown enough. I've seen airplanes flying close proximity to one another. If you've ever been up in the air a lot, you see a plane coming all of a sudden it goes right past you. Well, they're both going 700 miles an hour. You think passing somebody at 55 going each direction or 75 or 105 like some of you drive is fast. Try 700 miles an hour plus. Man, it's... It doesn't take long for them to make up some territory. So much the more as you see the day approaching. Not so much the less. So much the more. Do you know for sure you're saved? If not, let's nail it down today. Maybe you need to nail down and fasten being a part of the church. Then let's do it. It's not just a place to attend. It's a place to join and be a part of so that we can, as this old world gets worse and worse, faster and faster, we have a place of normalcy and right that God's a part of. To stabilize our life. Every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm done. I just crash landed the plane. I have so much the more to say. But I'll stop. Who'd say, preacher, if I died today, I know for sure. I've nailed it down. I know for sure I'm going to heaven when I die. Would you raise your hand? God bless you. You may put your hands down. I am not going to embarrass you. I will not come to you. I will not do any of that, but I'd hate for you to leave this room not knowing for sure you're going to heaven. Is there one that say, preacher, if I die today, I just don't know for sure, that I've, but I'd like to know it. Would you raise your hand? All right, then you come today. We'll take the Bible and show you. Who'd say, preacher, somewhere in that sermon, God was speaking to my heart and, uh, and me personally about something. Would you raise your hand? Oh, my soul. Many, 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 many hands. Dozens. Thank you. You may put them down. We don't need the altar less and less. We need it more and more. If you've been saved and never baptized, we can take care of it today. If you've been saved and baptized by immersion and you'd like to join our church, why don't you just jump on in? The water's fine. It'll be okay. Be a part of the only institution God ever ordained outside the home, the church.